I am going to continue in my series on the Sermon on the Mount this morning, and I'm going to uh, this week point to the passage of Matthew 6, verses 5 to 8. I'm getting a little bit of a hum in the speaker here on the left. Uh, and so Matthew 6, verses 5 to 8. Now, in these verses, Jesus will really begin to teach us about the introduction of prayer. How do we communicate with God? What is it that God requires from us in, in order to communicate with him? How do we do that? What's the right way to pray? What's the wrong way to pray? Uh, and so Jesus is very specifically going to tell us about this in these verses. And, you know, I remember even... Uh, as a youngster, we would only go out uh, to a, a diner or a restaurant maybe three or four times a year to celebrate our birthdays. Um, it was an unusual event. And so, you know, here we are living, as I called it, in godless New Jersey. Uh, and, the, you know, there, there, were, there were no evangelical Protestants, believe me. There were no evangelical Protestants. So we would go out to a restaurant, you know, three, three times a year maybe, and it would be crowded. Uh, and before the food would come, my father would launch one of his prayers, uh, and he made sure it was a prayer that would be heard uh, by the public uh, because he knew that most of them had never prayed before, uh, certainly not before they, they ate a meal. And so here I am, eight, nine, ten years old, and I'm looking around like this. Ooh, I'll have to move out of this town and my father launches one of those, and lo, Lord, the Hittites surround us in the mountains. Oh, God. And they are surrounding us, and oh, Lord, we ask you to bless this food. I'm going, oh, God, please get him to shut up. All right. But you understand, he knew what he was doing. You understand that in his sense, this was part of what God had called him to do. These were people who would never, ever hear a prayer like that. He was going to make sure that he heard that. Well, Jesus is going to give us instructions today about how we are to pray. Uh, and so here he warns us, you see. Here he warns us about the proper way to approach the throne of the Father. And that's a key part of this. We are approaching the throne of of the creator of the universe. And how many of us really understand that? We are approaching the throne room of the creator of the universe. And so how does God want us to do that? What does it take, you see, to have our prayers answered? What does it take? And why is it that sometimes our prayers are not answered? Well, this is a very humbling section in the Sermon on the Mount. And so if you have your Bible, you can read along with me. Matthew 6, verses 5 to 8. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. How about that? He knows what you need before you ask him. 
Uh, and so in these verses, you see, Jesus points to the very polluting nature of sin right up to the gate of heaven, right up to the point that you're trying to launch your prayer. You see the polluting nature of sin and, and temptation. And so according to Jesus, sin pollutes our prayer life. It pollutes our prayer life. Now, we tend to think of sin as we see it in its rags and in the gutters of life. Certainly that's sin. There's no question about it. But that is not the real essence of sin. You see, the essence of sin intrudes itself uh, with us even as we pray. It tries to be an obstacle to us to dismiss us in every way. And to understand that concept, you have to think about what it was like for the temptation of Jesus for the 40 days in the wilderness as Satan came to tempt him, even as Jesus was about to launch his ministry, was praying to God, to communicate with God, to fulfill the promise of why he was sent to this earth. And Satan there did his best to obstruct those prayers. And so if Satan would do that to God himself, why wouldn't he do it with us? And so Jesus, you see, is warning us not to be like the Pharisees in our prayer life. We do not pray to devote attention to ourselves. We don't do that. We don't stand up in a public place. We don't try to pray to let people say, oh, look how holy and pious this man and woman is. We don't do that. We do not pray to show people of our spiritual standing. That's not the nature of prayer. We pray solely to enter into the throne room of God. That's it. That's what prayer is like. Jesus is warning his Christian followers. This is not to non-Christians. And I repeat that. In everything we have studied in the Sermon on the Mount, it is about Jesus speaking to his followers. His warning is to those who are born again. Yes, you might say, why do I need this warning if I'm, uh, if I'm born again? Yes, you need it. You absolutely need it because Satan will continue to try to sift you and divert you and be an obstacle to you so that your prayers do not reach the throne room of God. Even us, even we, we have to be careful not to let spiritual hypocrisy affect our prayer life in any way as we do our devotions to God. Now, Jesus tells us there is a false way of praying and a proper way of praying, and he makes it very clear here. Jesus is giving us an overview on this, on this subject. In the weeks that follow, we will drill down on specific prayers, but not today. This is really an overview message to prepare us. Uh, and the trouble with the false way of praying is that it focuses on the person doing the praying. You understand? It's when the focus is on us, uh, uh, on our spirituality, on our piety, uh, in the prayer life, that is not the way God wants us to pray. God wants our focus to be totally on him, not on us in any way. And so if we concentrate on ourself, if it's about us, then effectively that prayer won't get above the ceiling. Uh, and this is important. Uh, it is the concentration rather on who the prayer is directed to. The concentration really on God the universal God, the God who created this universe, and Jesus Christ as we bow 
uh, before him and recognize how holy, holy, utterly holy he is. And so that's to whom this prayer has to be addressed. Uh, and Jesus makes this point very eloquently uh, as he addresses this issue, as he uses the example of the Pharisee standing in a prominent position. Oh, Lord, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, I'm not like that loser. I'm not like that tax collector. Oh, God, you have risen me. I am a pious man. I am a, I am a holy man. I am not like him. I give my tithes, and you know how I am. And so you see this total lack of humility. That's not a prayer to God. That's a speech about yourself. That's what that becomes, a speech about yourself. Elevating yourself, it's narcissism 101. And we have to ask God to deliver us from these kind of prayers. Uh, even at the point when you, when you get to pray and you start to say, Lord, you know I'm, I'm a good follower and I'm a righteous man. You don't have to say that. You're approaching God because you're a child of God. He knows that. Now the question is humbly bowing before his throne and asking for him uh, to enter your life and fulfill what you need. This becomes important. And so here you see public prayer being debased. And there's a place for public prayer. Absolutely there's a place. But public prayer is not meant for you to say, whoa, that John can put together some wonderful words. What a smart guy he is. Oh, what an eloquent prayer. Oh, I'd like to get a copy of that prayer. You see, that's not what the prayer is about. Rather, the prayer is about in the public praying for all of us together uh, in an institutional way to approach the throne of God as we pray in a united effort. Uh, and so God has made this very clear to us about the nature of prayer and the nature of our heart. Now, the Lord, even in that example, has elevated the poor publican. He's elevated him, who could not even lift up his face to heaven. You know that, Lord, I'm a sinner. Father, forgive me. At the same time, the Pharisee is standing proudly. Oh, I thank you. I'm not like him. And Jesus made it very clear. Which prayer gets to heaven? The poor, humble man. That's the prayer that gets to heaven. Not the prayer of a proud man, but the prayer of a broken, humble man. Jesus says it, that the, the Pharisee will get his reward, but frankly, I'm going to tell you, that reward's not in heaven. Oh, yeah, he'll be praised by people. He'll be praised perhaps by the church or the temple. They'll look at him and elevate him, but that, that prayer is not going to be answered by God. Now, Jesus also warns us about praying with vain repetitions. Vain repetitions. And you know, sometimes... We can even use vain repetitions in godly prayers, like the Lord's Prayer. You understand? The Lord's Prayer. There are religious denominations who will say that if you say the Lord's Prayer X number of times, that your sins will be forgiven you. Uh, and so whether it's three, four, five, say ten Our Fathers, you understand that. Well, that's a vain repetition. What part of that repetition is consistent with what Jesus is saying here? Your vain repetition of any prayer, even if the words are good, but all you are doing is vainly repeating the words, that prayer is not going above the ceiling. You understand? So stop that. Don't vainly repeat a prayer. Uh, it's inappropriate, and God doesn't want to hear it. Uh, the, the 
error here, and Jesus makes it clear, is that we begin to think that, that the effectiveness of the prayer depends upon the length of the prayer or the particular manner of the prayer. There's nothing more false in Scripture. Your effective prayer has nothing to do about the manner of the prayer or, or the nature of the words that it contains, uh, but ra- or the length, frankly, but rather really about your heart. Is your heart seeking the throne room of God? Are you humbly before him, bowing before him and asking him to enter into your prayer life? Uh, because everything that you do should be centered on him. He is the centerpiece of your life. He is the one to whom you need to speak. He is the one to whom you need to dress. So, so even in our public prayers, uh, we should be intent and centered upon God, not upon ourself or upon the public. And so you see that both in a public prayer position uh, and in a private private position. Another mistake we make in our prayers is that we focus on the form of the prayer and the length of time it takes to deliver it. This is what Jesus warns about vain repetitions. This is very clear. We can easily forget about our prayer life and fall into such vain repetitions. This can be done even in the recitation of the Lord's Prayer. You know that. You've memorized that prayer. But here's the point. If you need to approach the throne room of God, are you going to vainly repeat those words because you've memorized it and think that that's the kind of prayer that God wants? It's not. He wants a humble, a humble word from you seeking the throne room of God. And so now Jesus gives us an example, really, of how he expects us to do this. He tells us that he wants us to go into a closet. He wants us to go into a private place. He wants us to go into a place where we're cut off from the world, where we can focus solely on him. And let me say this to you, that, that talking about this going into a closet doesn't mean that you literally have to lock yourself in a closet. You know, you can be in an amphitheater and lock yourself in a closet. You can shut yourself off from the world. Uh, and and be able to speak directly to God. Some of my most effective prayers that I really feel that I'm communicating with God and I feel it through the Holy Spirit sometimes come as I'm driving my car uh, and and I'm just speaking with God. Or as I walk, when I walk, I often pray. God leads me to pray. Or even, believe it or not, when I'm golfing. This is a hard one to believe, but as I golf... And those of you who know me know that I'm not a very good golfer, so the first thing I'm praying is I'm thanking God that I don't have to do this for a living. But I walk as I golf, you see. I walk as I golf, and as I walk, really, God gives me the the chance to cut myself off from all the other things in the world. Uh, And as I'm, I'm praying to him, I'm praying for you, I'm praying for the church, I'm praying for the sick, I'm praying for this message, I'm praying that God leads me and guides me, and I can speak to him, you see, through the Holy Spirit, that is being in the closet. And so I want to encourage you to think and know, you don't have to lock yourself literally into a closet, you can set yourself off in a way that you have been uh, set aside by God to communicate with God in that very special way. That's the secret process that God speaks about. And so God speaks about the steps 
in reaching the throne room. What are the steps? Well, first, there's the issue and the process of exclusion. Exclusion. Uh, this is where I make sure that I am approaching God with no other interference in my mind, no other thoughts in my mind. I'm focusing on him. I'm asking him to enter into my heart and to approach the things that I need. Now, this does not prohibit public prayer. You can still be a part of public prayer, but you need to have this mindset of exclusivity, meaning that we shut out and forget every other problem or issue that we have. We're focused totally on communicating with him, totally on approaching the throne of God. And now we enter this prayer relationship and this understanding of, us, of exclusivity even as we walk down a busy street, even as if we're in a busy amphitheater. Right now, as you're sitting here in church, you should be praying to God. You should be asking God to confirm this message to your heart through the Holy Spirit. You should be praying for me that God allows me to deliver the message that he has for you. You should be praying for this church, and then you pray for your family. In so many ways, even now, sometimes the best place to have a prayer life is even as you're sitting here hearing a message that's resonating with your heart because God is speaking to you about the very need that you have to approach the throne room of God. Now, the next effective step uh, in the realization of prayer is, frankly, the realization of who God is. And this I find uh, an astonishing lack of awareness in many Christians. Who God is. God is the creator of the universe. He is utterly holy, utterly free from sin. He cannot abide sin. And so when you approach this holy, utterly holy God, we need to approach it in that format, recognizing who, he's, who he is. And so before we utter any words, before a single word comes out of our mouth, we need to remind ourselves that we are stepping into the audience chamber of God. I don't care if you're still here in this earth. You are approaching and stepping into the audience chamber of God. And you can do that only because Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. I can't repeat this enough to make you understand the significance of this. God will not answer the prayers of the pagans or the prayers of the atheists or the prayers of those who have repudiated Jesus Christ, we only get to come into the audience chamber of, of God because Jesus died on the cross. And now you begin to have an understanding, really, of what John 14, verse 6 means, because it's not merely the fact that you will get to heaven someday. And there Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh uh, unto the Father but by me. That's a verse that I repeat at every single funeral that I do. No man cometh to the Father except by me. Well, here's the thing that for many of us, we have focused this verse on the nature of death. That when we die, we will not be able to see God except if through Jesus Christ. Well, yes, that's true. But there's a life before death. 
And what Jesus is saying to you, and this is important, that you cannot approach God. Your prayers will not be heard by God unless you are doing that through the filtering lens of Jesus Christ. This is important. And so if you have friends that have not accepted Christ, all right, and think that they have their own philosophy of religion, uh, they may think that Jesus was a good man. They may just go to church as a part of a religious ceremony. But they have not accepted Christ as their personal Savior. They have not truly done that. Then those prayers are not going to be answered by God. Why do I say that? Because Jesus has said this. No man cometh to the Father except through me. It's as if you're dealing with this absolutely holy God that cannot abide sin. And here you are in your sin nature without Jesus Christ trying to get through. It's he turns his back. He turns his back not to hear that. But when you approach him through Jesus Christ, all of a sudden everything changes because he sees you as holy and true and without sin because you're coming through Jesus Christ. The very blood of Jesus Christ uh, has effectuated that, that change. This is a powerful, sobering thought. Uh, and so you see this, and it, and it really resonates with me, and it makes me want to be able to tell people who are not saved how they absolutely need to be saved. I want your prayers to be answered. Now, let me make something very clear. God will still answer those prayers on condition that they ask to be saved. When you make that prayer as a pagan or an unbeliever, and suddenly you say, Lord, I need a Savior. Father, save me. Help me. That's when God hears that prayer, that one prayer, and will answer that prayer. He will give you faith and grace in order to become a part of the body of Christ. And so let's understand the nature of prayer. Uh, there's a great, great verse, series of verses in Hebrews 10. Uh, verses 19 to 22, if you have your Bibles, uh, as the writer there talks about this nature. It says there, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. What is the significance of that verse? It says, really, that now we have confidence through the death of Jesus Christ as Christians. The curtain between the Holy of Holies and the rest of the world is now torn apart. And he, through the blood of Jesus Christ, he becomes our once and always high priest. He sits there at the right hand of God waiting to intercede for you. And so as you lift your prayer up, as you approach the throne room of God, I want to assure you that Jesus is your intercessor sitting there hearing that prayer and then interceding on your behalf. Can you imagine? Jesus loves you so much that he is interceding on you, that he is speaking to God the Father about you and about what you need. Oh, Father, let me have a greater understanding of what you are doing for us in such a way. And so we have assurance, as it says there. Yes, 
That's why we know our prayers are going to be answered. Now, does that mean it's going to be a yes? It's going to be a yes? No, it doesn't mean that it's going to be a yes. Because the problem is, is that as we walk in this world, a lot of times we pray for, quote my, pardon my language, stupid things. Okay? And we all do. I have, I have made a prayer load, a bushel load of stupid prayers my whole life. All right? And I ask God to deliver me of that. And as I've been sanctified and walking with him, I've, become to, I've begun to understand the nature of that. Meaning, stop praying about these things that you think are important in your personal life. God's not your concierge. Rather, look to see what those around you need. Pray for others. Pray for their salvation. Pray for the sick. Pray for the poor. Pray for your church. Pray for your pastor. Pray for the people. That's the nature of prayer. Don't make God your personal concierge. All right? And I understand this because I've been guilty of this myself. Uh, and, and so God, he, he prepares us, and he filters that out from us as we walk with him. And so as we walk and pray for the right things in the right way, I want to guarantee you God will answer those prayers. Now, here's the thing. It may not be the answer that you expect. It may not be the answer that you want. But I'm going to tell you, it will be the answer that you need, that you need. And he is very much aware, aware of this. And so this becomes a sobering thought for us, uh, that no man cometh to the Father except through Jesus Christ. No man. And that's, that's a, a, a verse that you need to communicate to a lost world. Uh, and so God turns from everything that is unholy and imperfect and only embraces the holy and the perfect. And he does that for us through Jesus Christ. And so this means that prayer, again, is for believers only. It's for believers only. And, and we encourage the unbeliever to ask God to accept them so that they can open up that line of communication also. Prayer is not for the atheist. It is not for the pagan. Uh, it is not for those who do not embrace Jesus Christ. And so it is possible... Uh, it is rather impossible without the grace of Jesus Christ. It is impossible without the grace of Jesus Christ to approach the throne room of God. It is impossible. It cannot be done, right? You may have some religious philosophy in your mind. You may have some personal determination. But all of your religious philosophies and all of your personal determinations and will are inconsequential as it relates to approaching the throne room of God. It can only be done through the filtering lens of Jesus Christ. Uh, and this is important for us to understand. But here's the deal. The worst sinner who ever walked on the face of the earth the most despicable person who ever lived at the point that they say, Father, forgive me. I need a Savior, Lord. Help me. At that moment, God dispenses his grace and will allow that person to become a member of the kingdom of God. That's how this works. You see, it's that simple. It's that free gift that's out there that God gives us. But that prayer life is not answered until we ignite that switch. And yet the world doesn't understand it. It doesn't understand it. But when that person makes that determination, that person, that sinner, that despicable person is now seen by God as holy and pious 
and free of sin because of Jesus, and that person can now approach the throne room of God any hour of the day, any time, day or night. That's the promise of the Father. And so it's also important as we, as we focus on these issues to note that we also pray to God through Jesus Christ. He is interceding for us. We're praying through him. Uh, and, and a terrific verse on this uh, is Ephesians 2.18, which if you have your Bibles, you can follow along. It says, uh, of the Jews and, the, and of the Gentiles, it says, for through him, meaning Jesus, we both, Jew and Gentile, have access by one spirit unto the Father. One spirit unto the Father. In other words, the prayer that we're making to enter the throne room of God is through the Holy Spirit. You have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit itself which is allowing you to communicate with God through Jesus Christ. It is the work of the Holy Spirit that leads you to pray. It is the work of the Holy Spirit that convicts you to pray. And I know you've experienced this, as I have, that you'll be just suddenly meet somebody or come into some situation and see some unfortunate issue. And suddenly, have you ever felt it like you just your, your heart has been burdened? You've been punched in the gut? that you can't even really articulate it and that you know you have to pray. You have to reach out and pray for these people that they're desperate and you ask God to, to intervene with them. Have you had that experience? I'm sure you have. That is the Holy Spirit. That's how the Spirit of God works. This is how he teaches us to pray. I want you, if you would, to turn to Romans 8, uh, verse 26 and 27. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Great verse this is that even when you are so low and so down and so despondent and can't even put together an articulate set of words to approach the throne room of God it's not the words that count you see it's the nature of your heart and the Holy Spirit reads your heart oh my God it reads your heart and it sees what you need. And even there in that situation where you're bowing before the throne room of God, have you ever been there where you've been so down, you've been praying so long for somebody who is sick, you know somebody needs help, and then day after day after day you're praying and you don't see any resolution to the prayer? Have you ever been there? I know you've been there. I've been there week after week after week and you're praying and praying and suddenly you get to the point where words escape you you can't even articulate it and now you bow before the throne and what is it you groan oh, oh god oh god and the holy spirit intercedes for that groaning prayer the holy spirit understands that prayer and god himself 
through the Spirit, understands that prayer as well. And so you understand how great it is our God is that, that he allows us to communicate to him even when we cannot communicate through the Holy Spirit. And so you understand the nature of prayer as Jesus has, has given it to you. Uh, shutting yourself off from the world, recognizing the, the exclusive nature of God himself, and finally recognizing that you pray through the Spirit and that God translates through the Spirit in so many ways as he teaches us to pray. One of the greatest verses on prayer in the entire Bible, I believe, is found in 1 John chapter 3, verse 22, where it says, quote, and whatever we ask, notice, whatever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. That's why we have confidence. We have confidence in our prayer when we keep his commandments. And so I would ask you this. If your prayer life has not been as satisfied as you want it to be, if you find that you've been praying and maybe those prayers aren't being answered, I would ask you this. Are you walking with him? Are you walking in the light? Are you walking in his commandments? Or has sin become a blockage? Because you understand sin can be a blockage to prayer. David said that very clearly in Psalm 51. That if we, if we do not uh, have a holy life, if we do not walk with him, if we have not asked for forgiveness, if we've not asked to lead a righteous life, if all those things fail, don't think that you can get on your knees and approach the throne room of God. You cannot. And I don't care that you're saved. I don't care that you're born again. You still need to be washed daily. Lord, forgive me. Lord, expose the weaknesses in my heart. Lord, expose the, the flaws in my life. Wash me, Father. Help me to be reconciled. And this is why reconciliation is so important. Why do you think Jesus said that if you approach this, the temple with a gift uh, and there remember that someone has something against you, Put the gift down immediately. Don't give, be involved in worship. Go and make it right with your brother immediately. Why? Because God understood that true reconciliation that needs to be done first before we approach the throne room of God. Amen, church? You understand the importance of what I'm just saying? That's the nature of the experience that we have with God. We want to, I want your prayers to be answered. I want the prayers of this church to be answered. And you know that I've been, this has been a, a period of testing for me as I prayed to God what was, it, what was his will for us as we looked to uh, buy another building and we felt very clearly God had opened the door. Everything fell into place. We raised all the money to buy it. Thank you, Jesus. We did all of this in a matter of weeks. And on the moment where we were going to close title, God said, no. No. It's not my will. Now, do I understand this? Not really. But I bow to the throne room of God. You understand? I have to bow to the will of God. That's what it means. And so even when God speaks to us, as we pray to him, we need to still humbly ask him for his will and then give us the grace to follow his will. And so, church, this is the nature of prayer that God has given you. He wants you to communicate with the Father. The Father loves you. He wants to bless you more than the blessings that you think you need. 
He knows everything that you need. He has every bit of happiness for you in his life, and he wants to dispense it. But we need to bow to him and approach the throne of God in only the way that he wants us to approach. Amen, church? Let's bow as we close this message. Father, I thank you so much for the words that you've given us. Father, I thank you for the teaching from Jesus. I thank you for the understanding of who you are, the utter holiness of who you are. And Father, the recognition that as we enter the throne room of God, your, your throne room, that you are so holy and perfect in every way that we can only do this as we bow to your will, Father. And so I ask you on behalf of this church to give us the recognition of this in our prayer life. Elevate our prayer life. May let us be more concerned about what we need to reach you and speak to you in every possible way and strengthen us, Lord, that every single day we have the assurance, the veritable assurance that the prayers that we make, the prayers that we make will be answered by you. Amen. Jesus.